welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but wait till you see who it is. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, it's me, James, with your favourite advert bit. And I've got a really good book I would like to recommend to you. I've mentioned it before on In the Days When. Do you remember I used to do a podcast with somebody called Toby something or other, London Calling. And I mentioned this book and I wanted him to read it because it might have educated him. And of course, he was resistant to it. He never did, did read it. It's called Gwyn's, Gwyn's Introduction to True Philosophy. And it's by this publisher called St. Edward's Press. And Hugh Williams, who founded St. Edward's Press, has been cancelled by Amazon, which I think gives you a good idea of the sort of books he produces. He, he, he uh, produces books about history. He's written himself a very good book I also recommend called From Ur, as in Ur of the Caldies, to us, from Ur to us. And it's, it, this is real history. This is the kind of history they don't want you to know. But uh, apart from that book, do get Gwyn's Introduction to True Philosophy. Uh, there, were, there were two sections I particularly like. One on the true history of um, evolutionary theory. And this is very good for showing your normie friends and, and, and demonstrating to them beyond reasonable doubt that evolutionary theory is bunk. Even Charles Darwin in The Origin of Species, even he recognised that there were serious flaws in his argument. Also, Gwyn, who's a very educated chap, writes a very good section on the history of of Isaac Newton and his Principia Mathematica. And it, what you realise is that is that Newton was a, a 17th century psyop. He was... That, that his reputation was vastly inflated and a lot of his claims don't stand up. I recommend that, but I'm going to give you the link to the website, St. Edward's Press, below this podcast in the blurb so that you can buy this book, maybe buy from, from Ur to Us as well. I really recommend it. It's a, it's a really great Christmas present. Thank you. Alex Thompson, welcome back to... James, it's been far Pod. too long. Thank you Hasn't so it? much. How yes. long has it been? I mean... Half a year or more? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what I find is that each time I, I talk to you, I've gone further down the rabbit hole so that the, the, my previous self, you know, I, I, th I think, you naive fool. <laughs> Do, are you, are you, are you, have I reached the stage yet where I'm even further down the rabbit hole than you and you're just, just looking at me like he's really, he's really gone mad this time? I wouldn't discount it, James. I mean, you're certainly... Um broad in your registers of language that you use to flight the enemy f-l-y-t-e for those who don't know this this old english word um but you no know, more power to you you you're finding your niche that's for sure if not definitely yeah. found it well do you know what alex i'm just i'm just a seeker after truth and i, I will go wherever it's take where it takes me and i don't care whether there were going to be dragons or or i don't know sort of creatures lurking in the mere or, or or wood woes or whatever on the way you know that's just that's just the deal i accept for being the green knight on his quest um <laughs> we're gonna talk today we were you're on the list to do psalm 2 with me uh, and so you 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 have now officially bagged that one any other any other kind of religious types thinking i'd love to do psalm 2 with james sorry Alex has nicked that one. But today, we're going to talk about something. I was, I was going to say something more topical, but actually, Psalm 2 is really 
is really topical. <laughs> it's about as topical as it gets. But we're going to talk about something equally topical um, and biblical and geopolitical as well. We're going to talk about supersessionism. Um, I think a lot of people don't know what that means, but I think it has relevance to Israel right now, Israel-Gaza, and also the divisions that I've noticed building up within the Christian community between those who are thinking, well, we've got to support Netanyahu as he destroys every last building in Gaza because, hey, these are the children of Israel and the people of God, the chosen people. And those Christians who I suspect recognize that that story is just a story. James, supersessionism, which yeah. is spelt with an S in the session part of the word. It's nothing to do with to seed, C-E-D-E, to, to give away. It's uh, the same root as sede, to sit, session being a sitting down. So in that sense, oh. to supersede is to sit in the place of in Latin. And so supersessionism with S's throughout uh, is the default understanding and doctrine of the entire church, West and East, ancient and modern, that the Church of Jesus Christ has, and I will shamelessly say it, replaced the Jews. Now, this is in God's purposes for the current age. I would immediately point people to the masterful section of the Epistle to the Romans, chapters 9 to 11, which has been much theologized on in recent years because of uh, apologies to the Jews. Uh, but Paul says there, there will come a time when all Israel shall be saved, and that's as ambiguous in Greek as it is in English, pas Israel, so thizetai. Does that mean all the Jews who are ethnic or religious Jews in that generation will come to faith, which some Protestants believe, like the Free Presbyterians in Scotland? Or does it mean that the, the fullness of the church, Jew and Gentile, will be called uh, and, and gathered in by that point? These are all details, but we don't say... Um, that we have contempt for the Jews in any way. Any Christians have uh, have always accepted that. But until the, I would say, 1980s, at least that was the, when the, the, the new term was coined to, to denigrate supersessionism, which is replacement theology. And the slogan that is attributed to us majority Christians is then, oh, you say that the church is Israel now. Yes, we do. So does Paul. Look at the end of Galatians. We'll talk about that in a moment. You know, that's that's been the historical development since the 1980s, a little before with dispensationalism, J.N. Darby in 19th century Dublin, London, the continent, uh, and the brethren and more particularly premillennialist strains that come up. It has been challenged, this idea that God deals with the Jews, then he pauses and he deals with the Gentiles, then he pauses. We're getting in at the deep end here, James. But I was going to say, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you've just said a lot of stuff that I need to take in and I'm thinking, whoa. Yeah. Slow down, Alex. Take right. me through this slowly. Because should we not go back to the early 19th century and this Derby character? Is, it, is this where... where and I, I'm sure that there's a connection here with the Schofield Bible. There absolutely is. And tell I'm afraid me, Oxford comes story. into it as well. I'm sorry that once again Cambridge made the martyrs and Oxford burned them. But uh, there you go. Uh, we've got one up on you because uh, our university press in Cambridge never gave publishing time uh, and space to the um, dispensationalist theology uh, that is espoused at the end of the 19th century in Schofield's reference Bible, which is where you get a running commentary, this bit's for the Jews, this bit's for the church, this bit's for Hang the on, Jews. Dis, dis, th th here's another word that, that, that I think is, all these words 
that one sort of comes across and think, oh, what, what does that mean? What, what does dispensationalism mean? Okay. Theology is rife with elegant synonyms uh, because it is an academically weak subject and has been since the 18th century. It's not where the brains or the, the bravest people are. It used to be very much. It used to be the queen of sciences. Consequently, and the evangelicals are the worst, <coughs> they do scholarship milling for, for, for scholarship's sake, churning out stuff so that they don't have to face the real world or even a real world university in many countries like the States, though it will be dwindling now. They've been able to have their, have their whole careers in, I'm not going to say fake, but third-rate academic subjects like New Testament studies, which is very weak Greek, always despised by the classicists as, as, as not based on much. It can't be as right. bad as gender studies, though. Come on. Oh no, or, it's a different or... league from that. As from that, and there are some very fine New Testament studies people who have that in their title. Before I give offence where it shouldn't be taken, but I'm characterising the whole discipline here, not founded on much. So theology says, uh, okay, God deals with people in Scripture in different ways. I mean, that's classic Protestant Reformed theology, and it has its equivalent in mainstream Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox, and Roman Catholic theology that there was a time when God dealt thus with the Jews, you know, for example, with patriarchs, then with the nation. Then, this is the bit that's contested now by uh, Zionists and their Christian fellow travellers, God said in both Testaments expressly in many passages through the prophets above all, if you don't stop uh, behaving wickedly in this land I led you into, I'll give it to others. There are questions and debates over the permanence of that, but that's the, the background. This, this is called dispensations. This is how God dispenses or deals with the Jews uh, in the Old Testament period before the age of Christ at the age of grace. Okay, these, these last days in which there is, and I'll, I'll, this is another key point I'll say right away, in which if you're any kind of Christian, certainly a biblical Christian, uh, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic or Protestant, you cannot say that there is a special role now, sorry, there is a special benefit now in being a Jew. You have to be saved by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Otherwise, you might as well discard the entire Bible. Yes, because that was that was the new covenant, wasn't it? That, that his... God's former covenant was with the children of Israel. But when Christ came along, that the old contract was cancelled in favour of this, this new one. Yes. And in Hebrews, the most intellectually rigorous book in the New Testament, written, as the book name suggests, to Jewish Christians, um, that we even read in the middle of the, that book around chapter 7, uh, that in, by, in a series of contrasts, the old covenant and its priesthood, which was an Aaronic priesthood, Aaron was the forefather of these priests and Levites, um, was never confirmed by God with an oath, because then he would have had to abide by it forever, to remain true to his righteous and truthful character. But he didn't, because a priesthood based on bread and wine, hint, a type of Christ and his sacrifice once uh, made never to be repeated on the cross, that priesthood, prefigured by Melchizedek, 400 years and more before Moses, in Abraham's day, uh, that is the, uh, the, the covenant which you'll read about in your favourite book, the Psalms, which the intelligent and honest Jews, the rabbis of the Middle Ages and others, have always said is the key to understanding the whole of Scripture. Even if, as a Jew, you only think that the 39 books of the Old Testament are Scripture, fewer in Jewish counting, they say 24, but it's the same uh, uh, amount of canon in the Old Testament as the Protestants have. Um, even if you say that, the, the, the Psalms give the key. Alex, that's really cool to hear. So you mean, quite by accident, I've 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 chanced on the the key the key to everything. That, that I've, I've become obsessed with this thing, and I'm right to do so. 
Psalm 2, and I don't mind giving people a hint in case they want to bag this other one, Psalm 110, which I'd love to do with you, but to anyone else who wants to, to uh, uh, have a go and feels called, by, no mean, by all means do. These messianic psalms, in which we see Christ as the victorious warrior on behalf of his people, uh, bringing them to his father, reconciling them, tell us more about the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the character of God than anywhere else in the scriptures. Wow. Luther, uh, every great Christian theologian, not just Protestant either, has recognised that. And apparently, I, I was told by somebody who's read all their City of God and stuff, that um, St. Augustine was like that as well. Oh yes, because in every time and place, serious Christians have chanted the Psalms, usually on a monthly rolling schedule. One of the many good things we have got from the Jews, of course. This is, this is brilliant. Well, okay, in a, in well, a nutshell, we get from the Jews practices and forms, and read Romans 3 verses 1 and 2, we get the carefully preserved scriptures. We don't go to them for explanations, because they don't know it themselves. And again, I'm speaking in nutshells here because I have to, but that's because with the deliberately forgotten sack of Jerusalem by Titus and Vespasian in AD 70, prophesied by Christ and mentioned in every New Testament book, more or less, and deliberately ignored now by Jews and Christians, since that time, you know, there's, there's not been a land, there's not been a priesthood. And after that time, rabbinical Judaism uh, arose. It wasn't that the Judaism of the second temple, temple that even Christ knew just one generation before that. But that arises in opposition and it starts saying, well, we won't read the same Greek translation of the scriptures as we used to, because most Jews weren't native speakers of Hebrew anymore, namely the Septuagint, because the church is using it. And it's embarrassing because the Septuagint translation of the Psalms in particular and the prophets as well points very much to Christ being the long-awaited Messiah. So we can't have that. Ah, I'm glad we've got into this one, but actually I think we're, we're digressing from, uh, you know me, I love a digression, but I want to talk about the identity of the Jews and how they connect with the children of Israel, and also what you know about Talmudic Judaism, which mm. seems to be the state religion of Israel. Um, and maybe we can talk about this other thing, which was always, I, th I think a lot of Christians in their naivety think that the Jews are, are basically like Christians, but with the old, with the New Testament taken off, that basically the Jews spend their time looking at the Old Testament and, and chanting Psalms and stuff. And I'm not sure that's altogether true, certainly not in Israel, where, as I've just said, that the, the state religion is Talmudic Judaism. It's not, it's not about the, it's not Torah centric. But well, of course, that, that very last thing they would contest, Israel would say that it's Jewish in that the four things that Halakha, Jewish law, in, ex, insists on, for example, only Orthodox Jewish marriages can be conducted, the state won't be involved in civil ceremonies, and three others. Uh, dietary is another, kosher, Sabbath, Sabbath is another, the fourth uh, slips my mind. But they would say we're a secular pluralist, well, they wouldn't use the word pluralistic because that's only for, for Gentiles, sorry to say, but um, uh, they don't believe in that kind of diversity. But just this afternoon, we're recording this on the 2nd of December 2023, uh, an Israel watcher among our many subscribers sent me um, an Israeli TV banner line, um, that uh, was being flashed up in Hebrew, and it says our trust is in Hashem, the, the Jewish euphemism to avoid saying the name of God unnecessarily, based on the third commandment. And uh, so that he said, this is the first time I've seen in ages that the Israeli state media are saying we trust in God because of the, the dire straits they're now in with this war. Right. But other than that, they would say, oh, no, we don't have a state religion, much less Talmudism. But, that, you know, that there's, there's such a plurality in Judaism. I mean, you mentioned that just the Israeli part of the Jewish uh, worldwide community so that the, the, not the non-diaspora part in israel well i mean they've got two chief rabbis for a start they've got an ashkenazi and a sephardic uh, the last sephardic one who's now passed on was was extremely um notorious for his his rabid statements but generally it's the ashkenazi or european jews who have taken the biscuit for for uh up 
up to and including genocidal levels of Arab hatred, by no means all of them, but they're the project of Israel since 47-48 has been led by them, especially since the Likudniks took over in the 70s, the Netanyahu father and son brigade and their uh, their hangers-on from, from Poland and Ukraine. Whoa. Uh, the previous generation were all Labour socialists and, and quite anti-religious, actually. It's Okay, maybe we'll go back to this one. But I think that, oh, before we go on, dispensationalists believe what, right. in a nutshell? <clears throat> Jay and Darby is a toff in uh, Dublin in the early 19th century. And Lady Powerscourt promotes him and has soirees and he talks about his ideas. This is at the same time as a, a raft of other early 19th century men in both Britain and America, as time goes on more in America, but the intellectual leadership always comes from Britain. The Americans are, are real suckers for that. They, they're starting to say, well, why is it that the world, both Christendom and the newly discovered colonies and sphere of influence, have not all turned to Christ, much less to a living faith in Jesus Christ? Why is there cold formalism and nominalism? Why are people still drunkards and wife beaters? Um, it's decided that this is because the, the flowing of the Holy Ghost the outpouring of the Holy Ghost hasn't come along. You know, there's, there's the, the beginnings then because of bourgeoisification and, and peace, prosperity, the, the, the conquest of diseases and so on, although the 19th century was certainly not a party for everyone, you know, but not, not fun for everyone, but you know what I mean. Life becoming much more predictable was leading to a, and there's been many scholarly books about this, a feminization, a wassification of the church and, you know, much more beta male type characters standing up. And one of the consequences of that is this idea that a bit more prophecy, a bit more yielding to the Lord and everyone will be holding hands. There will be no more evil on the face of the earth. You know, this, this, mm -hmm. this was already defeated in both Western and Eastern Christi Christianity at an earlier stage when it was pointed out that, you know, we'll have evil right till the end, whatever view you take of the manner of Christ's return and its timing and what happens to the church and the Jews in the interim. Every Christian sect has its own view on that. But that that's, uh, persuasion had been had been put to bed but then it re-emerges in Dar Darby's day and Darby is by no means the most radical you've got others like Finney and Irving but Darby then has success he goes to the continent with his fluent French which all British toffs had at that time and of course as an Anglo-Irish uh, uh, aristocrat he was he would have said he was English and British goes off to Lausanne arguably the continental European centre of evangelicalism in the proper old-fashioned sense of Bible-believing Protestantism and as the diaries of local ministers make plain in French, uh, he goes around trashing the best churches in Protestantism, certainly the best outside the British Isles, perhaps even more solid than ours theologically, and says, oh, no, no, the church is in ruins. And this is classic Brethrenism, although I have many dear friends in, in, in the Brethren movement, which itself is split into open and closed, you know, but uh, many, many persuasions within. But he founds them by saying there is no church anymore. Forget the denominations. They're all in a pile of rubble, a bit like Joseph Smith founding Mormonism, but a bit less extreme and less uh, secret society related. And not unlike how many of us feel now, Alex, we look around at the churches and we look at the, 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 the Roman Catholic Church headed by, well, uh, I mean, a, 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 he's an apostate. Um, and we look at Welby, who's clearly not a man of God. And I don't know who he worships. Oh, let's go the whole hog. Brian Gary says he's a Satan worshipper. Yeah, I think he probably is a Satan worshipper. So, I'm in trouble now because he's a fellow kick you man. He's from Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union, where only the best evangelical future and current leaders are bred. But I'll say it anyway. Yeah, well, we know that we know that, that Satan has infiltrated. I mean, obviously, if you if you were Satan, what would you do? You're going to infiltrate the church and you're going to spread dissension and and you're going to undermine undermine doctrine. And all sorts of things. But I, I hadn't realised that what's going on now, people felt even as, as, as far back at the, 
at the yes as the 19th early 19th century i mean i know matthew arnold wrote about the melancholy long withdrawing roar of of, of you know, the the sea of faith but I, I think of him as more like a dawkins of his day of course son of my um uh one of my heroes thomas arnold headmaster of my uh, alma mater i was gonna say not dawkins <laughs> no people criticize thomas arnold too for more emphasis on muscular than on christianity but his priorities were quite right you know christians first gentlemen second scholars third although the scholarship too was was darn fine uh, but Matthew Arnold very much regrets uh, and bemoans the retreat of this sea of faith because he realises that with it, and Tennyson's writing in the 1850s too, about nature red in tooth and claw and Darwinism and, and it's but not just the, the secret society wing of Malthusian wing of Darwinism, the Galton stuff, but the general understanding of natural history is coming to a point where men realise, oh, our mothers raised us to be fine Christian gentlemen, but there's no rationale for that anymore. And, you know, they they foresee correctly that in another 50 years, so what, what becomes the Edwardian era, the aristocracy will be bed hopping and, and, uh, and amoral. And then it will yes. spread to the middle class and uh, ultimately the working class, which has happened in our day. So, so to forestall that, Matthew Arnold uh, and others have said, you know, let's remain cultural Christians. And Dawkins, though I understand he's recently laid into Ayan Hirsi Ali at an Oxford's dinner party for converting to Christ, which, by the way, she was making noises about in the Dutch reformed scene over here 15 years ago. But no, she, she, she's done it now. Apart from that, Dawkins has said in recent years, you know, he, he, he wants to be a King James reading kind of atheist, a bit like the old question in Belfast. You know, are you, are you a Protestant atheist or a Catholic atheist? And, and Dawkins would like us all to be reformed Protestant atheists for the sake of civilization, I think. Well, for, for, for the literature, um, for the for the Oriton, well, the decent prose, let's say. Yeah, I get that. So Matthew Arnold, this is just for, more for my curiosity. I wouldn't have liked him. He's a sort of pinko, liberal, squishy. Yes, I mean, another 10 years, James, and you're on to um, the um, beginnings of the uh, Oxford, well, the Oxford movement, the Tractarians, was already in full swing to, to re-Catholicise. And yeah, what is, are they fair, good to, or bad? To our Catholic brothers, they they are always, even in those days, regarded as you know uh, more Catholic than the Pope, and and more bells and smells than 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 the, than the cradle Catholics, and making a fuss over nothing. So that's going on. Newman is to arise, but also um, the uh, Rhodes-Milner conspiracy, led of course by Ruskin, the uh, inaugural professor of art at Oxford, is saying the same thing clothed in more socialistic garb, which is. I'll, I'll cut to the chase. What they're both saying, both Arnold and um, uh, Ruskin, who, who, who inspires Rhodes and, and ultimately Chatham House and all of these nests of, of, of nasties, they're all saying, well, there's not much point in living, whether in Madagascar or, or the East End of London, if you don't have the standard of living of, a, of, of a, an English chap. And uh, only chaps like us are fit to live in this world. Uh, some present that more positively as, you know, let's, let's, let's humanely dispense with the rest. Uh, but uh, others, you know, before any German had started thinking about it, uh, have taken it to the extreme of Lebensraum and eugenics, which, as you know, is a, is a, is a Victorian English idea before it goes anywhere into Sweden and Germany. Yes, that, that's Galton, isn't it? Yes, I mean... it's, well, many others, but Galton and Malthus, ultimately. So this, this long battle's been going on. So what you're, you're de detecting there is the metrosexual, metropolitan, uh, you know, I, I saw so many of these types at GCHQ. I, I disdain and only pretend to tolerate these plebs, you know, who, who, who have different stand, different views and values than me. I'd, I'd rather just there be people like me and, you know, hang it all. If I can't convert them, you know, mentally or, or in other, environmentally, then, then they might as well go. Right. 
Right. Which is in, in a, it's a kind of secular version of the apocalypticism I was mentioning a, a generation earlier, you know, the 1820s odd, when uh, the church is, is, is being led increasingly by men who say, oh, why hasn't everyone become a Christian? You know, they don't read their Bible for explanations about the evil in the human heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine, for example, the heart of man is uh, desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Oh, no, no, we're, we're taming people now. We're civilizing. We have a, a mission to extend Christendom. And at that very point, Christendom, which has been lasting since the fourth century in the West and about the same time in the East, is crumbling and the visionary men see it. So one of the sort of the, the knee jerk or, or sulky responses to that is to think, well, well, we might as well wind the world up then and just carry on with, you know, uh, everyone pretending to be a middle class Christian gentleman. So, OK. Um, I'm always keen to know, and obviously you, you, you have your own biases, but I kind of trust you. I need to know who the good is and the baddies are. For, so, for example, you mentioned Lady Powers Court. So I, who was who was presumably a sort of she she sort of funded good causes. Yeah, she, she, was, she a, was a patroness, and it was the Powers Court Circle, which was just the Dublin equivalent. You had one in every Anglo high society city. You had people coming together to wring their hands. Some were very laudable. A little earlier, you had the Clapham sect, you know, presided over and hosted by a similar aristocratic lady, and this was just just one in which they had sessions which before you know it became a kind of pseudo seance you know that the world will be converted this is the plan darby's dispatched he goes off to switzerland and the i'll give them their due the atheistic often ethnic jewish but unbelieving uh critics of this scene um anton chaitkin c-h-a-i-t-k-i-n is one of the best from the linden larouche people the real radicals in america who by the 1970s were correctly saying that the british crown oversaw the smuggling of drugs uh, and the drugging of American minds in many ways to keep them in the empire, which is a Rhodes uh, idea. They have correctly said that, uh, you know, evangelical Anglicanism has often been led by such characters. They go too far sometimes and, and tar people. I would say Lady Cox is a good example with the brush wrongly because she has done a great deal for the Armenian people over the, the decades who continue to suffer. As we record this, they've been expelled from Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, but there's there's always been this idea from that time onwards that the Church of England, which at the top is losing its faith even then at archbishop level, is using these movements, uh, the new ecstasy and glossolalia speaking in tongues that arises in Sunderland and in Azusa Street, LA, uh, around the 1904 in both cases. It's using these and refining it to what works with blacks, what works with whites, what works with free church, what works with established church to try to keep the whole English-speaking world on board and led spiritually from Canterbury. OK, but you seem to me to be missing out a key detail about Derby. You, you describe him as a sort of Anglo-Irish toff, which he was, but he also lived in the most haunted castle in Ireland, um, where unspeakable atrocities had taken place in their, in yes. their dungeon or their oubliette. There were lots of bodies, lots of skeletons were found down there. And the guy was a Satanist, was he not? Well, I don't want to say that without... I mean, I say it of Welby because by their fruit you'll know him and you can yeah. call him, among others, have seen enough of what he does and advocates. And the people he and the even worse Archbishop of York, Cottrell, what they do to uh, faithful biblical parish ministers, you know, bully them out of the church and blacken their name. So I have no, no hesitation in saying that of those men. Uh, Derby, I would hesitate to say, but I will say that UK column casework has shown up 
And, you know, long-term viewers will know I have a particular love, and I say a fair, fairly deep knowledge of the Irish people in all of their historical diversity. Um, th th there has been a long history, and it's we found it a few years ago with UK column cases as well. The aristocratic piles around Ireland seem to have a very, very dark history. And I don't just mean what people would describe for short as British colonialisation, which isn't even an accurate term because the Scots started colonising Ulster before the UK even existed in King James VI's reign. Yeah, but uh, th that aside, whether it was Gaelic or, or settler or even Norman, probably a lot of it's Norman centuries earlier, the uh, the castles there have got a horrendous history uh, of Satanist ritual abuse. Uh, so have many parts of Britain, East Anglia, the northeast of Scotland, the southwest of England, etc. You know, but... Uh, the the Irish scene does seem to have a great concentration of, uh, shall we say, henchmen families who know well, uh, actually, who are sitting on Satan's secrets. This is this is a, a complete digression, but <laughs> I can't resist. How has it has this been since time immemorial? This association between the aristocracy, the, the governing classes, and Satanism. Seems I, to think, be this. I think it has. Uh, you know that the old saying, well, maybe you don't, but it's a, a good saying of, of, uh, of uh, old-fashioned evangelicals, perhaps other Christian traditions as well, that all souls are of equal worth in God's sight because he created them all, but not all souls, not all lives, should I say, although biblically, in both biblical languages, that's the same idea, soul and life, but not all lives are of equal worth when it comes to soul winning, strategic evangelism, or Satan's strategic dark arts. Both the good and the bad forces will make a beeline for aristocrats and kings and noblemen. That was how England was converted, as you know, first Kent, then Northumberland, Northumbria, I should say, back then. And then a pincer movement to the middle. Mercy was the holdout pagan kingdom in the middle of England. And aristocrats have always had a particular vulnerability and, and are worthy of our continued prayers, which Paul enjoins and other biblical writers pray particularly for those in authority, that they would resist the huge temptation that comes their way, not least to feign service to Christ while actually serving the enemy. Well, this seems to be more often the case than not, that they pay lip service to, I mean, look at, look at, the, look at the Elizabethan court. I mean, they were all churchgoers because you had to be, but they were probably really Gnostics or, you know, Luciferians, let's face it. At, at, at best <laughs> I'm looking for it I can it's in one of two uh, one of Peter's two epistles but from memory the wording almost exactly is for ye see your calling brethren Peter means the Christian profession that not many rich not many wise not many noble are called and this is why it's easier Sorry, for James. a camel to pass it's, through the eye of a needle than a rich yes. man into it's just struck me that it's actually James, because James goes on from that to say, what's all this fawning over the rich when they come into your services, which the Victorians were very guilty of as well, putting them, putting the, 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 the great unwashed behind a curtain, you know, smelly plebs that way in, in church. That was happening in the early church, the primitive church, the first century church, and James castigates them by say, uh, saying, um, isn't it the rich, the noble and the mighty who haul you off to prison for your Christianity? Well, do you know what? I've... I used to wonder when when I um when I first started kind of wanting to relive Brideshead revisited in my Oxford days and um I remember my mother being really unimpressed and was really just did not like the idea of me trying to cultivate toffs. And I thought, well that's just, you know, sort of snobbery, but it but it but I, I think it's not that. I think that, that 
my mother who has 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 faith although you know she doesn't waste time going to church or anything but she's she's definitely she's she's based and i think she understood far earlier than i did that that actually uh, put not your trust in princes that that she 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 sniffed out these people and knew that they weren't that i was actually better than them and she didn't want me to be kind of solid um anyway fair play but so okay we're going back we're going back in time to the 1830s is it lady it is about called? that time that darby is swimming around and you know so the and, okay, brethren I, i'm saying he was a satanist you're saying not not proved but I, I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I shan't, you know, accuse him from the uh, from the other side of the grave. So uh, what? The great okay. day will reveal it. But I do not like his influence because as the, the, the godliest men in continental Europe, and this was the same time as the Réveil, the, the, the awakening of the dormant Protestant church in the French speaking countries and in the Netherlands was going on. These godly men say Darby comes and he started a new sect called Darbism which is not how we call it in English, we call it brethrenism. But the essence of Darbism, as the, as the continental divines rightly uh, describe it, is alas, alack, a woe, and th there is no, there's no proper church anymore, there's just a scattered rabble, so we can only gather around the word. You know, sacraments, not all Protestants would use that term, but uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper is a question, as it is for the Salvation Army and other Christian movements that become more parachurch organisations who's licensed to dispense the sacraments. But that aside, the practice is you meet and there's a levelling. There's no uh, unction or ordination. Uh, and I, I'm an anti-sacerdotalist anyway. I believe in a flat hierarchy and I know I'm in Presbyterianism and before that Baptist churches. So we don't have episcopacy in either yeah. of those Protestant branches. But the, the effect is, even if a continental free church would perhaps, through gritted teeth because they're more hierarchical than the Brits, be prepared to accept that, what it's done is the historical term is the magisterial reformation, the authority and the learning that Rome gave us or we got via Rome. It was our own learning from, from our own British Isles, of course, ultimately. But um, that that is squashed. There's only listen to uh, Brother Snodgrass this week and next week uh, uh, Brother Maudlin will be on the rotor. And most of them don't know how to preach in any sense, theology or uh, public speaking or decent language or etc. And people get, you know, used to very low standards or walk out in absolute despair. It's almost as bad, if not worse in some ways, than the opposite um, evil of an unconverted parson who has all the, the tricks because he went to Oxford or Cambridge, which was the, the bane of 18th century uh, life in Britain and many other countries, uh, that he, he was going through the motions and wasn't converted. Yes. Because then, yes. you know, as my dear mother, you know, you're quite right about mothers and their vision. My dear mother said, and she was brought up Anglican, uh, before becoming a Baptist for my father's sake when when she married him. But uh, in later years, they've both drifted back to the Church of England in Bedfordshire, uh, although they live in Bunyan country in Bedfordshire, which is you know the epicentre of throwing over Anglicanism in favour of the Baptists historically. But still, when the Baptists crumbled to nothing in the 1990s, uh, stopped using the King James and, re and singing hymns, etc., um, she said, Alex, if you go to a bad Baptist service, where, of course, there's no liturgy, you have nothing. If you go to a bad Anglican service, at least you've got Cranmer. Yeah, good point, Mum. That was playing out two hundred years ago. Okay, okay. So, but what's what's Darby's mission exactly? What's he trying to do, and and has he been paid to do this? That, the latter part is the million, whatever shekel question. But uh, I don't yeah. know. Uh, is there a Rothschild involved? 
well, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they all know each, know each other, don't they? But the upshot of it is that the denominations uh, have are bled of many of their most visionary, perhaps not not wisest, but certainly most fervent servants of the Lord, who go into brethrenism, which is just the the first and the least cult-like of a general Anglo-American 19th, 20th century phenomenon of quite major sects popping up and saying, forget them all, you know, all of the historic Protestant denominations. Um, and, and, you know, some of them are, you know, burn for the Lord. For example, nothing bad to say about William Booth and the Salvationists, although it was a bit strange that he sent his daughters into atheistic Paris to get beaten up uh, as as uh, you know uh, as evangelists it should have been men's work but still they had that that zeal uh, but that that's the effect of it really that the, the church's social mission is bled a lot of the best theologians and historians and of course I've translated a lot of these as well as read them say that the effect of this is that the, the social clout of the church which is very much an old and new testament theme that if you've got a position in society and you believe in Christ God's given you that calling and you live out those two roles faithfully with Christ as Lord being the the, the, the top uh, priority, obviously, top commitment. That starts to bleed. As we were talking about the mid-19th uh, century, the 1850s, 60s, this, this was already happening. You know, anyone who was anyone was almost ashamed of saying they literally believed the Bible anymore. So were this they? is this this Darbism is accelerating or catalyzing that trend that before you know it, and this is also the early years of the greatest preacher of all time, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in the late eighteen fifties. He comes from a very hyper Calvinist, that is, you know, right wing um, uh, Baptist circuit in the south of London, to prominent at the Metropolitan Tabernacle at Elephant and Castle, still one of the biggest Baptist churches in in Britain and the world. What happens then in the early years is is Spurgeon is disdained and, and panned in the press for not being a respectable preacher and, and attracting to him all the, the, the bumpkins and the urban equivalent of bumpkins, cockney urchins, who yeah, shockingly, scandalously want to go and, and weep over their sins and be gloriously saved instead of doing things decently. Right. OK, so it sounds like C.H. Spurgeon had had actually read his his um, Gospels. Oh, and, yes. and, 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 and because, because actually Jesus similarly hung about with with fallen people, not with not with respectable people. That was the deal. Of course, so, yeah, because he but, was there to change and heal them, as he was at pains to say to the Pharisees and the scribes at every such opportunity. He was called. To, he was, he'd come to call them to repentance. Although a it, very early scribal fiddle, there were so many attacks on the, the, the text of Scripture, even in the first century. Uh, a fiddle with the text of Mark's Gospel took out the words to repentance, and some ultra modern liberal. Uh, Protestant theologians have said, you see, you see, in Mark's original writing, it was so radical. Jesus was there to to be a faithful presence, as it's now called, with the down and outs. And only later with Matthew and Luke has it been refined to to Jesus wanting them to repent. Your, your description of, of, of what happened in the 19th century makes me realise that this problem I have right now, which is you know, I'm a Christian, but I look around at my fellow Christians and I think, a lot of you are away with the fairies in your in your understanding of of what this what this what it's all about. Uh, it seems like this has been going on since forever, probably yes. because I imagine these problems predate even the nineteenth century. That there's always there's, been these. They have, and we're talking about the Jews today. How does the church deal lovingly and truthfully with the Jews? Uh, read the book Judaism is not Jewish, written by the eighty. One year old, I think he is now uh, retired Baptist pastor Baruch Maoz, B A R U C H 
surname M-A-O-Z, who for, for years was running the largest Reformed Baptist congregation in Israel. By the way, the number of Messianic Jews properly described, so actual personal believers in Christ who are Jewish and Israeli, has uh, skyrocketed since the foundation of the State of Israel. There's over 100,000 in that very small population of a few million in Israel now who what? are genuine Christians, okay. uh, Jews, right? And Miles had the biggest congregation. He's now passed it on to a younger pastor, whom I know personally as well and interpreted for him. And Beersheba in the south where the, that congregation is was always being invaded by uh, ultra-Orthodox uh, nationalists, Zionists uh, in its Sunday services. Maos retired a couple of years ago to Seattle to be with his grandchildren. With the outbreak of the 7th of October 2003-23 war, he has gone back to, together with a lot of Jews. And, you know, I'm not going to lambast his motives. You know, he's, he loves his people. But I say all this because even 20 years ago when he wrote Judaism is not Jewish, he was at pains to say particularly, and he's, he's uh, Massachusetts born, particularly to, you know, ill-informed American Protestants, for goodness sake, people, uh, please realize that rabbinical Judaism post-dates the New Testament. Yes. Yeah. And yet all these practices, you know, at, at the extreme end, the nonsense of Davidic dancing in that book, he, he, he rather humorously and aptly says, you know, if you want to do, be one of your, you know, fat middle aged Americans doing unrestrained Davidic dancing in the aisles. Um, well, you try doing that in a synagogue in the US, Israel or anywhere else and see how many seconds it takes for you to be takes for you to be thrown out by the ushers. Yeah. Yeah. These are inventive traditions. And uh, as usual, the evangelical Christians who go in for it go are much less intellectually able and much less integral about it than the Jews. Right? Rabbinical Jews are uh, have a huge weight of tradition and they face lifelong ostracism, up to and including your parents holding a funeral for you if they convert to Christianity. So we have to tell them the truth in love very sensitively, but also directly. But I can understand that dynamic. And being Jews, they go about things intelligently and with historical understanding and with logical categories in place. But it's all emotion and, and make-believe for the um, messianism, uh, the strands of messianism you get in American and increasingly British and Australian evangelical Christianity. And I've seen it happen in, in Finnish churches as well that I've visited. The Dutch are a bit different because they have a deep and genuine love for the, for the Jews that goes back to the time that they were kicked out of Spain and Portugal, the Jews were, and made Amsterdam substantially made Amsterdam the great city it is today. And the whole of the Dutch Protestant church, evangelical and very conservative reformed, is pro-Israel. I still take issue with them, because pro-Israel is not the same as pro-Jewish, which you want to get into. But I, I'm saying that the epicenter of this this silliness is Anglo-American evangelical. Well, yeah, I okay. think the key thing is it's being steered cynically by Canterbury and always has been. OK, so I'm I'm struggling though to the, 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 there are bits of the story that i don't quite get okay so we've got derby he goes out to lausanne and, and places like that and and to to spread his message among sort of baptisty and evangelical christians and his message is the church is finished uh th th that that i mean is is he is he uh, sola scriptura or whatever it's called he, oh, he's, yes he, yes but yeah he would say so but as with the mormons and i'm not making any judgment about you know many yeah. any any value judgment here but just a simple intellectual note here as with the mormons as with the any any other non-liturgical non non-priestly religious tradition particularly in protestantism they say we don't have a liturgy here brother but you have to use the right form of words and the right order of service, which has been passed oh. down orally, right? Same yeah. with, actually with the Dutch free churches in, in, in the Reformed 
situation, although they go about it better. And in, in, in practice, you get visionaries and self-proclaimed prophets who come about. And maybe this is the key you're missing that you wanted to hear about with brethrenism, both the open, which is just conservative evangelical wing, and the closed wing led by Jim Taylor 50 years ago when he well, long, long story short, he was a drunkard and an adulterer and discovered to be such in Aberdeen on a visit. He was from New York and uh, horrendous scene. But that, that illustrates the point. What you get then is the brethren term for it is there is the Bible and there are assembly truths. You know, the Lord's people accept this vision or this view of, of Scripture or this scheme for the end times because the anointed prophet says so. And there's one per generation. So you get that formally in Mormonism. They sing the song, follow the prophet and teach their children that he's Christ's voice on earth, etc. Right. Blasphemy, just as blasphemous as what's said about the Pope. But in Brethrenism, you've got the same. You know, you always, it's presenteeism, bums on seats. You always have to be at the meeting, but not just for the sake of form uh, or for the sake of, you know, sadly, it's mainly an empty pretense now, but they say, well, you've got to be there twice because we evangelized. That never, no one ever comes in these days, no interest. But the real reason beyond that is because these utterances, it's almost Quaker-like. Yeah, an unschooled brother, and I don't, I don't mean to look down on him, one who, who doesn't have anything particularly from his own learning of Scripture or the Holy Ghost, but who just feels it's his turn, will say something. And if he's sufficiently high up in the informal hierarchy, that will actually be level pegging with the Bible in authority terms. Right. OK. Um, and um, was, there a, was um, Bernard Cornwell Plymouth Brethren? I haven't heard the term, but they are surprisingly high achieving, like a lot of smaller denominations. Oh, you know Bernard Cornwell, who wrote oh, the, the, the novelist. Yeah. Oh yes, I, yeah. Bernard. I was going to Google it. Bernard Cornwell. I'm pretty sure. Um, he has written. Uh, While you look it oh. up, an interesting side note is, and I'll give them their due. They're they're great scripture students, all forms of brethren. And they've uh, mentored me a lot through life. And so they've done to others. It's simply a coincidence that it's in the city of Plymouth. But when Brian de Gerish came ashore from the Royal Navy and wanted to ask all the churches in Devon what is going on with fraud and corruption and Satanism, they all literally and metaphorically showed him the door, particularly the C of E, but also the likes of the Baptists and the Methodists in his village. The only two who didn't were the Brethren, who schooled him in prophecy and scripture, and they're a Unitarian group, so not to everyone's taste. They don't believe Jesus is God, but the Christadelphians, one of these serious, studious, late 19th century groups that arose in Britain and America. Uh, I just they, looked they it up, the, by the way. They, they were the, the two who, who told Brian Gerrish, we'll actually spend time with you looking at God's word and prophecy about the end times. Okay, so there's obviously, there's obviously good and bad in all these these. These, they were called the peculiar people, the ones that um, his his family. Oh, that's were. that's East Anglia, nineteen twenties time frame. They were they were very popular. And for those who don't know the etymology of it, peculiar, as in a royal peculiar, you know, a church belonging directly to the monarch, uh, is simply Latin for belonging individually to. And this is this is straight from uh, Peter's epistles again. Ye are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. So they didn't deliberately call themselves the odd people. They were saying right, yeah. with peculiar people, we belong directly to the Lord. So okay. we don't. But the effect is the same because they deliberately didn't conform with the the, the world's dress sense or, or or mode of speech, etc. So okay, we're in we're in the con continental Europe with Joseph, and we're sounding very much like an episode of In Our Time with Melvin Bat 
brag because we're using the historic present, which my wife finds infuriating. But there we are. On the continent, um, they do it all the time, so I'm used to it now. <laughs> it's just, you, you can't get away from it now. So Darby is in. He's founded the the Plymouth Brethren, who have these kind of prophets, and they obviously they're they're quite strict and and stuff. But what does this have to do with this? How 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 does it evolve that lots and lots of Christians think that? Israel today, the state of Israel, is the same as the Israel that God is talking about. The the link it, before the 19th century is out is what you alluded to. It's the Schofield Reference Bible. Right. And I'm sorry that I don't have the book title to hand, but there is an excellent biography of uh, Schofield. The, 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 the word man features in the uh, biography of Schofield. I forget the rest of the title, but... Um, Con man. Something like that. Snake oil salesman. But Schofield comes along. It's an age of chancering, uh, chancers as well, you know, because uh, as as with what becomes Pentecostalism and extreme hyper charismaticism as the 20th century progresses, showmen and in some cases literally failed or would be stage actors, men and women, even more scandalous, the women who want to you know stand up on stage and, and, and scream at the top of their pair of lungs. They all find an, 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 an inroad. Uh, no, the Lord has told me to do this. Mm-hmm. But even at the, the modest end of this, that the seeds have been sown, uh, going back to Charles Finney and 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 Irving and and Darby, obviously, that if the Lord's put something in your heart, why just stand up and say it? I mean, in a sense, the Welsh revival is born of that milieu, and there's been lots of criticism of that, uh, as well as the souls that were saved and the nation that was changed at Wales. There, there's a lot of sense of you know this was emotion and sentiment going mm-hmm. on. You know, so that's just part of the the age. It was a spirit of the age. So as part of this, Schofield says, uh, and of course, you know, it would sound snobbish these days, but the, the criticism of these chaps in, at the time, both in Britain and even in egalitarian America was, who do you think you are? You haven't studied, you know, and that is a New Testament criticism, you know, that we're, we, we're all supposed to study the word of God and not just come up with our own ideas. But, but in but Schofield's says, case... I think this, is, this, this part of Scripture's dispensation is dispensed to the Jews. This, even in the New Testament, this part's for the Jews, not for you. Don't believe it. Don't read it. Very odd stuff. And in unaccountably, and this is where I think the, the Rhodes people and Canterbury come in again, Oxford University Press, which, as you know, in the 1880s was as, as, as stuck up as, as nobody's business, takes Mr. Schofield's uh, nothing to recommend it manuscripts and says, of course, we will we will, you know, put it in our catalogue for 1880, whatever it was, the year it came out, 1890 something, I think. How on earth do you pull that one off? You, well, you must have high, high-ranking people connected. I should cocoa. Yeah, that's not going. That doesn't happen by accident. So no. Schofield, as I understand it, was a complete con artist. He was just not not a biblical scholar uh, of any no. kind. So but he of course, got America, this gig. Where a lot of the most visionary believers from the Puritans onwards had gone to the colonies. By this time, a lot of them had gone to Australia, which arguably, until very recently, was and the entire nation was evangelical Anglican. Remarkable spiritual history. But, you know, the eastern seaboard before the, the pioneers went inland uh, had already, as the as the historians of religion call it, burned out. Look at upper, upstate New York, where Smith was in the 1820s. There'd been, you know, two genuine awakenings led by the greats like Whitfield uh, in the 18th century. By the 1820s, everyone was so jaded and they thought that, it, you know, if it wasn't extreme uh, and, and more sentimental and, and breathtaking the last time, then it wasn't a move of God. So that that in that background... The charlatans have got a, a hearing, even though, and I did a series with my father on ukcolumn.org that you can find by searching literacy in the ukcolumn.org search function to find that three-parter, even though 
the Appalachians, uh, New England, were extremely well-read, serious people. You know, they knew what the scriptures said, and they they knew that there was a, a tendency for people to deceive in religion, matters of the human heart. But that in many places, they still went along with it. And, you know, genuine, generally because of the democratization of American church and state after independence, as the 19th century goes on, a lot of the historians, uh, Mark Knoll is the great historian of American church Christianity, uh, that's N-O-L-L, no K, they all say the result of this is that by the second, third wave of, of awakenings in the 19th century, the established churches, uh, uh, Episcopalianism, which is what the Anglicans are called in Scotland and North America, um, or at least in the US, um, the, you know, the, the, the Presbyterians, they are losing out in favour of new movements, the most mild and moderate of which are the Baptists and the Methodists, which in the mother country were regarded as upstarts and were illegal and, 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 and scorned in the 17th and 18th centuries and had policemen coming out to disperse their preachers. You know, but in America, these were the ones that take the lead and they're the most sort of establishment you get. It's either that or as time tailed off into the 20th century, you've got, you've got the snake handlers and the, and the, and the one-man bands. I like the snake. Don't don't say a word against the snake handlers. I would like to go to a snake handling church because I like I like handling snakes. Basically, yeah, people have died of fatal bites there, you know, because that that long ending of Mark, which again was something that was taken out by a lot of corrupt scribes uh, in the early church history, and the, and the modern critics say, oh, these are the early earliest texts, which they're not, but that's another story. Uh, that long ending of Mark says that those who believe in Christ, these are Christ's own words, after his re- resurrection, shall do certain things, including handle snakes. Well, the fulfilment's right there in Acts 27, beginning of 28, actually, isn't it? When Paul's been shipwrecked on Malta and he he, um, he, he finds a, a snake attached to his uh, a venomous one attached to his hand. And that story is in scripture because the yokels are there saying, oh, he's escaped the sea, but goddess vengeance won't let him live. And they're astonished to see that his hand doesn't swell up and he doesn't fall over. I would say there are probably not many snakes on Malta capable of giving a fatal bite. They'd probably... It'd be quite nasty. So, I mean, I still think it's a miracle because his hand didn't swell up. But I, but I, I wouldn't... It's not like being bitten by a copperhead or, no. a, or a, let alone a, a banded crite um, or a, a fierce snake, which is the world's most poisonous snake. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> anyway, look, thou shalt tread on the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt uh, trample underfoot. Um, <laughs> we're immune to snakes. Yeah, but we, that's we. the devil. You understand that, don't you? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Genesis yeah, yeah. three onwards, the, dev- the snake is, is uh, a, a symbol for the for the devil and his deceit. I do worry about this. The fact that I am so drawn to snakes, even now, I, maybe well, that's it's, a... it's atavistic in us, isn't it? I, I, th- I understand uh, our w- women folk have it even more strongly programmed into them than us. They do, and, as do cats. You know, there's there's this there's cruel genre of YouTube videos where people slide a cucumber behind, uh, near to a cat where out of its field of vision well, just to see it jump uh, because they, they take it for a snake but women and of course this is absolutely and the roman catholics are very strong on this because their adoration of mary um women have always had this uh, innate sense of i see a snake i crush it with my heel uh, otherwise it will get my children and that's why the, the Protevangelion, which the, the Dutch wonderfully called the mother of all promises, the Mudrebelofte in Genesis three fifteen and 16 is uh, thou shalt. And it's to, it's about the woman's seed, which is Jesus Christ. You know, thou shalt crush his head and he shall bruise thy heel. I, I'm loving our digressions. I, we're a long way from our from our destination still, which is OK. But so, there's a huge amount of intellectual history to get through if you want to understand. Well, I suppose that's true. I'm not complaining, Alex. I'm just, I'm just really pointing. I'm showing to the viewer and listener. Look, 
I, I understand what you're what you're, what you're worried about. Look, Alex and I may be kind of <laughs> meandering sinuously on our snake-like journey towards the towards the truth. So, look, Schofield. I don't. Well, what was his first name? Can you remember? Oh, it just it eluded me now. Darby was John Nelson. John Nelson. Schofield was not called Philip, but he was equally suspect. Uh yeah. I, I was I, without I, an H in 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 uh, the case. Yeah, of the sure, I, I'm just going to Google him while we. Uh, Go, go field Bible. Oh, uh, that Cyrus. He uh, was title, called. Of course, he was. Silas. Yeah. Cyrus. The title, which you couldn't remember, doesn't have man in the title. It's called Mister Schofield and His Remarkable Bible, or very similar wording. You can get okay. it secondhand or online. Cyrus Schofield. His name was Cyrus Schofield, that's and it. he was dodgy as probably at least as dodgy as Derby. Actually, probably you know, maybe he wasn't a Satanist, but but come on, you must be able to tell me that the Rothschilds were involved in this particular project. Well, the Apostle Paul also warns that people will make merchandise of, or huckster, the word of God for profit. He says to the Corinthians, we're not among those who, and he uses a participle in Greek, kapelidontes, which means we make a habit of touting the word of God for sensation and gain. So okay, there's always been a market for that. And, and sure. Here in the Netherlands, when they had the greatest literacy and the greatest Christian golden age of anywhere in the world, any time, uh, in the 17th century, and I've you know had the privilege of translating some original research on this by Professor Robert Hoff that they were, you know, that there were some books that had a million copies of when the population was just a handful of million people, you know, really <laughs> hardcore Bible study books. So everyone was reading them at that time. Uh, what was it that brought us onto this? The um, just rewind. What were we saying a moment ago? Well, you see, this is this. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna um, pin you down here. You you said earlier that. You don't get published by Oxford University Press when you're a complete nobody. You're not known for your scriptural expertise. And suddenly you're, you're saying, I've got this annotated Bible that I'm going to... Come on. You, you well, know OEP and I know. was had not gone commercial. I mean, the Germans took even longer. The, the, nest, the, 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 the Bible societies and the university presses in Germany only now are starting to sell out their... hollow out their content for money. And this this was not a, not a, a, a happening even in Britain, which is a lot more commercialised, bastardised academia these days, uh, back then. So Stuff doesn't happen... You know, you know and I know that stuff doesn't happen for a reason. There's a reason, for example, that exactly. Harry Potter became the best-selling children's book of, of I mean, there's, there's, all It's time. argued that uh, J.K. Rowling didn't even write them from scratch. Uh, no. John Coleman, as you know, claims that the, the Webbs, the, 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 the couple who uh, exculpated Stalin in the 1930s... And Beatrice told, and Sidney Webb. Yes, they uh, the, the, the told all the bien pensants that, you know, Fabians like us must welcome Stalin. I mean, there were historians by the 70s saying, you know, we know about all the millions he killed, but it was worth it. And that the webs were an early version of that. Well, the, the same webs are said to have written with the name Harry Potter, the drafts of these stories, just waiting for the right time for pe children to be yeah. magics. The thing I forgot a moment ago is that even in the, the most solid Christian culture perhaps there's ever been, the 17th century Netherlands, there was a huge market for uh, bootlegged theology people would go and take shorthand of sermons uh, they do it in britain too at the same time puritan sermons and just you know they weren't believers they would just do it for a quick buck uh flood the market with uh cheap copies and even attribute false claims and false theology to to respected ministers so there's, there's a long history of making money out of god's people uh one minister said notably a few years ago to me uh, the egyptians always did prefer israelites to build their pyramids Just okay. I'm still not going to let you go on this one. That it seems, duh, and I've read it. I've read it elsewhere. 
that that this was that the, the Zionist movement got its got in there early. Yeah. That, that and for those who are Darby... following the, the history, the Zionist movement is precisely the same decade, the eighteen eighties. Okay. As, as what? The, uh, as the Schofield Bible? As the Bible. Schofield Bible. But okay. I think the, the Schofield Bible itself was very early in the 1890s, but 1896, 7 is also the, I think, the, the definitive World Zionist Conference in, was it Basel or Bern? <sighs> but they, they were both getting going in the 1880s with Theodor Herzl writing their Judenstaat. But okay. the key thing there, James, of course, is that they, from then till the, eight, the 1950s, so after they managed to make Aliyah and go to the land of Israel, Palestine as it was just until the beginning of that period, they were all saying... Our fellow Jews are schmucks and schlemiels. Uh, mm. We would get arrested for saying these things now, but these but these men were irreligious, proud of being well in, well integrated into Middle Europa society, uh, nominal Jews, maybe synagogue attenders, maybe pious even, but their loyalty was to the Kaiser of whichever European state they were in, and uh, you know they have they had Old Testament and Jewish traditional reasons to justify that: fear God, honor the king, do well in the society you're in. Um, but the result was. That they, they were dislocated. They had no sense of who they were. And Herzl said, well, you know, we, we are, you know, we have a high proportion of, of bums and, and no-gooders. And, you know, this is a, a theme throughout European Jewish history. You know, we, the elite Jews, despise these poor guys who only care about reading the Talmud or whatever it is and, and think mm. that's a higher value and send their wives out to work, which they do to this day, so that the men can do their so-called highest duty of reading Talmudic angels dancing on pinhead stuff all, all day. You know, so that, that out of despising of that, the Zionists said, well, the, the remedy for this is we have to turn the Jew into the thing he, uh, he wants. He's never been since Old Testament days, since we were kicked out of the land, which the Jews know is for di was for disobedience twice, uh, 587 BC and uh, 70 AD. Uh, we have to make him a farmer again. We have to send him to a kibbutz so he'll learn through hard work and having his own land in both senses, you know, his farm and his country. Uh, he'll learn what it is to, to be a proper nation again. So there was right. no religious content to that. Quite the opposite. Okay, but um, just just going back. To, look, correct me if I'm wrong, and, and and this is me dimly remembering what I've read elsewhere. That Christianity was the dominant cultural religion, certainly in the West at at, at that time. It was um, waning already, but it was of the masses for sure. Sure. So Zionists. Um, wanted to to create a Jewish homeland in Israel. They certainly but, didn't want a Jewish democracy, which is a contradiction in terms, because Jewish law talks about the, uh, uh, the laws of the king and of the kingdom, not of democracy. But they already had the Jewish part. That's the, but, still the tension in Israel today. Are we Jewish, democratic or both? You can't be both, actually. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at big big picture stuff here as i understand it a lot of jews really weren't interested in in going back to this no, kind no. of hot this place, is where hot uh, there is there is uh, i think it's quoted in roland perry's book the fifth man uh, this remarkable australian historian i may have mentioned him to in a previous conversation who went to moscow when the kgb archives somewhat opened up and found that anatoly gullitz in the defector into mi5 was telling the truth that you know there was there was uh, that, that that victor rothschild the wartime leader of the rothschild dynasty was spying for the Soviets and, and for Mossad, what became Mossad. Well, so of course as, you would yeah. be. And as, as part of that, there's a wartime letter quoted from Rothschild to a, a friend that there's no room, there will be no room for poor schnorrers, meaning mustachioed religious Jews, these, these unkempt guys who, who only care about, you know, doing their dovening, their, their worship all day. Um, Rothschild's 
said there will be no room in the in the land for them but, after but, the war. So there are those who go maybe two bridges too far and say, well, he was in on the Holocaust then. I think that's pushing we, it a long way. Well, we, we don't, the, we don't, it was a fortuitous outcome. We and don't then, of course, need to, we don't the, to go there. The, the non-elite Jews who do arrive, for example, all the African Jews, all the some of the Sephardic Jews, so the Oriental Jews, some of the Mizrahis, uh, who are now again dominant, but you know everyone who's not an Eskenazi, you know that they got uh, sterilized through irradiation, allegedly a pest control measure, uh, when they arrived to as, as as immigrants as aliot as um olim so th this is all this is all um this is this is well known that, that there was a, a great despising of the religious jews which is behind you know a lot of the heavy-handedness that you get with the israeli police now yes uh, no are you 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 see footage especially of, the, of the, 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 non, the 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 those who don't believe who are consistent with Jewish history, both Old Testament and Jewish tradition, who say we have no right, it would be a great sin and blasphemy to set up a Jewish state before Mashiach comes. Yes, I get that. I get that, 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 that many ultra-Orthodox Jews do not believe in, in the physical state of Israel because they understand that it's a kind of metaphorical yeah, thing. And refuse to be citizens, whether they are on paper or not, refuse to act like citizens. Yeah, but... It seems to me that you're slightly dodging the issue of whether or not Israel was a Rothschild project, which it seems it seems to me that well, it was. I was. I was just going to the religious religious line there. Uh, in, in a political sense, I've got no doubt, it, uh, no, no no hesitation in saying that it was. But OK, so whichever, whichever the Lord Rothschild was to whom Balfour wrote his letter, his, his declaration, he was just the, a later Rothschild, presumably... We, know, you, and I know how the rulers of the darkness of this world operate, and they they operate they 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 think way further ahead than us ordinary ordinary folk. They think in in generational terms, yes, in and, multiple and the, the Jewish and Chinese ones think in five hundred year chunks. Whereas you know our dark operators in the West, okay, they work for Satan, who thinks in longer terms. And he knows his time is short, scripture tells us. But our Western elite, as you know, as well as I do, public school in Oxbridge, only think in terms of the next electoral cycle or, or will I get my son into the same school as me, despite the increased third world competition. But, 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 but these they, are they junior... think really long term. And the Jews and Chinese have got a mutual admiration society going on because they think in half millennium time periods. OK, so what I'm trying to, to, to pin you down on is the, the overall game plan... In the 19th century, uh, which which led to the hijacking of many Christians yes. and getting them on board with the Zionist program using false information yes. you, you, by distorting the Bible. So we've got explain the connection. But first of all, can you explain how the Schofield Bible, this 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 Bible with annotated by a charlatan, how it became so popular in America, number one. What, well, it was, it was flogged a lot. You know, people found it new and sensationalist. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, the, the huge list of adjectives at the beginning of that chapter about what people will be like in the end times. And one of the things they, are, they will be is, and I think Paul's using the word ironically rather than literally, he says there'll be silly women, gunaikaria, probably means sort of wee-wifey wee type men in the pulpit or in the pew, equivalent they weren't pulpits and pews in the new testament but you know what i mean they will be the ones he describes as silly women who are ever learning oh what a new uh, interesting thought and never able to come to a knowledge of but the what's truth. he saying have you have you have you read the scope of bible no the, 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 the notes are just bilge 
<laughs> but, but, I mean, but they must be quite readable, Bilge. Yeah, of course. It was, you know, it, it gives people an intriguing sense of, hmm, I'm beginning to see the chronology. I mean, there was a trend in the 19th century already because of archaeological improvements to say, OK, we're reading about Hezekiah. This happened in year, well, I'll probably get the dates wrong, but Hezekiah must be um, 624 BC or whatever it is, you know. And um, so to try to date everything. And using Archbishop James Usher's chronology, 17th century uh, uh, Bishop of Armagh, they would even start in Genesis 1 with the central column saying, this is 4004 BC. So that's fair enough. Okay. Well, you can dispute the early timings. Um, but they're just starting to say, okay, well, when I read of a shall in the prophets or in the New Testament, that's going to be not necessarily this many years in the future, but the relative chronology is there. So one of the effects of the Schofield Bible is that you get these people and you can see immediately their swivel-eyed loons on YouTube because they're doing their usually two-man podcasts, filmed podcasts about prophetic times and our support for Israel. And sometimes they've literally painted the wall behind them with these lurid, cheap, but uh, very busy uh, illustrations of, ah, oh, here's the crucifixion. At least they still say that's the center of history. But here's a here's a Jewish bit, here's a Christian bit, and in, before you know it, oh, there's Napoleon, and, and so okay, they, he's the beast, and, and, and they get that. None, none of them agree, you know. They did that to, to sorry to misappropriate a, a, an expression from the Gospels. For neither yet did their testimonies agree. That's the thing. No, no two sects of Loon have the same chronology. But Schofield inaugurated the whole concept, the whole category of having uh, a, a chronology for, for a prophetic timetable. Okay, so assuming he was funded by the Rothschilds, or well, Z yeah, the Zionists. Mean, it's going to be the Rothschilds because they they were the the uber Zionists, weren't they? What what were the messages that he was putting in the Bible in his notes that 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 misled people? Well, the the the, the most innocuous part was God hasn't finished with the Jews, you know, and that is okay. Matthew twenty seven twenty five. The Jews say, uh, His blood be upon us and on our children. Uh, when condemning Christ to be crucified or approving the Roman condemnation. But the, the, there was always in Protestantism, particularly Reformed Protestantism, uh, a love, above all among the Dutch and Scots, and it's become an article of faith in the Reformed churches in those two countries, that you know, the Jews will turn to Christ in the end times, and we have to show them in a friendly and sincere manner who Christ is and evangelise them sensitively. Okay, that's, that's dissipated now, because you know, there's a lot of Dutch evangelicals who uh, say, oh, I'll never mention Christ to a Jew because of the Holocaust, which is a flat denial of the New Testament. And just while we're on that spur, I'll say that I learnt better courtesy of my dad, vicariously, who, it must have been 50 years ago now, um, was speaking to a messianic Jewess, so a convert to Christ, in Liverpool when my parents lived around there and said, um, and she said, Alex, you really love the Jews, don't you? He said, yes. And she said, you'd love them all the way to hell, wouldn't you? Well, that, that shook him out of his stupor of going to synagogue and saying how interesting the way you Jews do things without mentioning Christ. Okay, so that that historically was the, the position that, that the Jews read Romans 9 to 11 above all, um, that God hasn't finished with them. But in the, it, somewhere in those three chapters that are essential reading in Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that the Jews are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And I've, I've sat at a fellowship meeting with a Dutch reform minister, in fact, the man who, who uh, conducted our wedding service, who very lovingly disabused a lady of her excessive love for the Jews in this regard. She said, God's old covenant people, the Jews. I think she even left out the word covenant and just said God's old people. But then God would have two people at once, right? Rather than biblical term of grafting in or, or saying, okay, the church will do what Israel used to do. 
without excluding in any way that individual Jews will come to faith in Christ in this gospel age, and also not excluding a future end-time conversion of many old Jews. But the, our minister said to this lady, sister, I have to correct you gently there. They're not God's old covenant people. The church is God's people. The church is the third temple. Mm. You know, Acts 17, Paul in Athens, God does not dwell in temples built by human hands. Peter, you know, we are the temple. Lively stones, living stones. Romans 12, your reasonable service. All of these texts point to that. He said, let me correct you, sister. They're not God's old people. They rejected willingly that role, didn't want to be God's people. Read Hosea, Lo Ami, thou art not my people, all, but also the prophecy that she will become a people again and she will gain mercy again in Christ. Well, what they are, sister, the minister said, is they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. The same reason, by the way, it often was quoted in the Highlands among the most pious people that the British Isles ever saw in the 19th century, that the reason the Lord hadn't finished with the nation and its wickedness, uh, despite its wickedness, was that particularly in places in the Highlands, Northern Ireland, Wales, there were um, pockets where a majority had been fervent Christians. And for their sake, the Lord wasn't going to overturn the nation in judgment. I think that's why we had Her Majesty for 70 years. No, ne never mind her personal faith and commitment, which may have been privately different, who knows. Uh, we couldn't have had a better queen uh, or better monarch in that period. I know people will be shouting at their um, it, mobile phones. Some now of saying them will. She Alex. tolerated Satanist ritual abuse, but what would the alternatives have been that were on offer? I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to go down that particular. Well, anyway, you can take that hole. or leave it. But it's a, it is an, it's an example of if you pray for preservation for the sake of the Lord's people in a particular place or church who used to serve him warmly. The Lord's never obliged. He can always remove his candlestick, as the biblical language says, from a church or a national church. Uh, if it you know, decides to cheerlead abortions and, and replacement migration, it's had its chips. But uh, where there is genuine godliness, the judgment will often be delayed. There's a, there's a, you might know the answer to this. There's a line in Marvell's To His Coy Mistress where he writes, and you should, if you please, refuse till the conversion of the Jews. So he would it's, have been... It's like till the cows come home. It was In the 17th century, it was very much standard fare in, in Puritanism and its continental equivalents like the Dutch Reformed. The last thing that happens before the Lord's return, and this is quite separate from the other debate of pre-post or amillennialism, let's park that one, What you know, when's the thousand years, or is it literal or metaphorical? That aside, everyone said, oh, at the end times... Uh, the Jews will see the light, as per Romans nine to eleven. Yeah. Uh, they'll be called. You know, it's it's not the only way to interpret that uh, that passage of God's word. Uh, right. There's not necessarily going to be a mass conversion, but it is an article of faith and and, and a decent hope, something to be uh, worked for. And when I was mentioning Baruch Ma'oz's book, I forget the title, but well, any any history of Jewish Christianity or the relationship between the church and the Jews will say that the golden age was the first half of the twentieth century. Well, from the mid nineteenth century to the first half of the twentieth, when Great men such as the, the converted Dutch Jew Isaac da Costa um, were shamelessly, and they didn't need to be ashamed, and at the cost of their reputation and their, their maybe even their safety, would evangelize the Jews. They do it under Queensbury rules. You don't go into a synagogue and say Jesus is the Messiah, even if you're a fervent evangelical Christian. You respect their time and their turf, but you engage with them. Uh, you don't but, beat about the bush. And there was a great harvest. And crucially, those converts didn't call themselves Messianic Jews, using the adjective Messianic to qualify the core noun of Jews as their identity. They called themselves Hebrew Christians until about the Second World War. Right. 
What about the bit in the Talmud where it says that Jesus is boiling in excrement? That's and Bavli, that he... right, isn't it? There's two Talmuds, James. There's a 20-volume um, uh, Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, where all the wickedness of Eastern religion um, gets inter interpolated. And by mm -hmm. the way, in the time of Christ, the Second Temple period of Judaism, they had already, as a, a nation, gone on to worshipping angels, all the things that the New Testament and, and serious Jews of the time warn against because of this Oriental influence. So, sure, some centuries after Christ, that strand of Judaism in the diaspora in Mesopotamia is being very Persian or, or, or even Indian about it and making wisecracks about Jesus. There's also a letter, lesser known and shorter Yerushalmi, uh, a, a Jerusalem Talmud, which doesn't contain any of this stuff. And the, the language of the Talmud, uh, both versions of the Talmud, is Aramaic, a very obscure kind. Only a few people can translate it properly. And the, the defenders of the Talmud will say that even if these passages in certain tractates, individual documents in this massive library that's the Talmud, even if they seem to say, no, uh, you know, God's got his own back on that upstart Jesus, that's not what all Talmud readers say. But parking that, giving them the benefit of the doubt, Talmud is preached by the overwhelming majority of Jews, those who are rabbinical, in fact, only about 50 to 70,000, I think it is, Jews in the world called Karaites, K-A-R-A-I-T-E-S, are non-Talmudic. They read only the Old Testament as the word of God or, or as authoritative. Right. All the others are rabbinical, so 99 point something percent. All of those will say, and you'll read it in the preface to any edition of the Talmud, uh, of which there's several in English now. These days they didn't used to be, but it was, by the way, it was Dominicans and then the Puritans and Luther who translated this stuff to bring to light all the, the stuff that was said in the dark to disabuse Christians of the notion that all Jews are, are friendly to and well disposed towards our faith. Um, they, they will all say in the preface to the Talmud, um, okay, we've got Tanakh, the Jewish name for the Old Testament, but that's child play, that's, that's high school stuff, that's for, for, for women and boys, right? The, the real juice um, and the real essence of Judaism, because so many great Jews worked on it as if they were greater in mind and spirit than God, but that's what they're saying, I'm afraid. Yeah. Is, is the Talmud. And some will go the whole hog and tell anecdotes in the Talmud or in commentaries, because you've got two levels, Mishnah Gemara and commentary upon commentary on commentary. But some commentaries by rabbis on Talmudic sources will say, oh, um, the rabbis were so smart that they, they, they managed to tell God, hey, we control earth now and, and uh, laughed, as it were, uh, behind their hats about, uh, you know, we've beaten you. And, and God in this story is said to say, oh, my children have got the better of me. So that's one extreme end, but the whole of Talmudic Judaism, okay, in the truth movement, Talmudic is often taken as a synonym for deceit and uh, double uh, double language and so on, but more broadly, more neutrally than that, a Talmudic attitude is Jewish learning, the striving for the truth, the striving to heal the world, although that's Kabbalah, that's a mystic end of, 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 of Judaism. You know the the the, the attempt to uh, to fulfil the law, keep the six the, the, the six hundred and thirteen commandments. That is the core of Judaism, which it never was biblically, and it was never held to be until after the fall of Jerusalem. Well, it this sounds to me closer to being one of the Babylonian mystery religions than yes. it is to yes. Well, that's Luciferianism. That's, it is. That's that's the that's the enemy. Yeah. So well, here I mean, we I'll are. I'll give you two descriptions of that in the New Testament. Paul in particular, who was steeped in this before mm. his conversion, although it wasn't written down in his day. And Christ, when he's talking about your traditions, he's talking about the documents that were oral that later got written down. By the way, one of them, uh, Rabbi Yohanan, I think, end of the second century AD, said, if a Gentile studies this stuff, he's worthy of a death, death sentence. 
and he, he, he has the cheek and presumption to base himself on a verse at the end of Deuteronomy where it seems to be interpolated by Joshua. He says, Moses gave us these commandments, they're for us. And so he says, they're for us, they're not for the Gentiles. That, that's how twisted things get. Uh, but Paul, whenever he's talking about traditions, vain Jewish fables, he's talking about this stuff. He's not generally talking about old wives. Ta well, he's talking about old wives tales. He uses that term, but he's not he's not talking about people who gossip and speculate a bit like the 19th century sects we're talking about. He's talking more about this, these secret teachings, Gnosticism, Hermeticism creeping in, which are Eastern anyway. They come into Platonism yeah. and the church that way in the fifth, fourth, fourth, fifth century, but they also come into Judaism. Right. So. Um, a key verse, I'll give you just two to uh, to meditate on. Um, one, I think, is 1 Thessalonians. Is it first or second? They're only very short, but they're very important. I'll give you the first, uh, the other one first, and I'll look it up meanwhile when you respond. Okay, so the first one is the positive one, which is Galatians 6. It would have made more sense the other way around. In summing up, uh, and this is the key epistle about how we, do we relate to the Jewish law, uh, uh, answer, we as Gentile Christians should not be enjoined to obey it. But he says in his final paragraph, Genesis, sorry, Galatians 6, 12 onwards, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, that's Judaizing, making people obey the Old Testament and traditional law, they constrain you to be circumcised, which Paul is using as shorthand pass pro toto for the whole idea of become a Jew. Only, meaning the only reason they do so, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Because, of course, the persecutors of the church, this will be the Thessalonians text in a moment, have always been led by uh, envious Jews who don't like us. Yeah. And they, they hate above all Jewish converts to Christ, Christ more than they hate Gentile Christians. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised. Look how many converts I've gained for Judaism, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, which means boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Here I pause to say that what a shame that most hymn books no longer include the most magnificent verse to my mind of uh, when I survey the wondrous cross, which is his dying crimson, meaning blood, his dying crimson like a robe spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe and all the globe is dead to me. Uh, so that, that's the Christian's license for uh, not following worldly fashions. But Paul says that famous verse. And then he says the bit which is less well known for in Christ Jesus, Neither circumcision avails anything, neither being a Jew by birth or conversion, nor uncircumcision. It's not, on the other hand, more noble uh, or, or, or less baggage in life to be born a Gentile who's a Christian, but a new creature. The new birth in Christ individually is the only thing that avails. And as many as walk according to this rule, he's deliberately alluding to the idea of rules and laws in Galatians, so this is the new law, the law of Christ. Peace be on them with emphasis. These are the people, whether Jews or Gentiles by heritage. These Christians are the ones who get peace from God and mercy and upon the Israel of God. There are many mentions of Israel in both Testaments, James. This is perhaps the most important one, that God has an Israel as well, made up of Jews and Gentiles who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Mm. Yes. 
I, I, I can see that, that that is key. So, so your your take, uh, which I think is 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 what what most sort of scholarly Christians think, is it not that that the deal in the New Testament is that the that with Christ Israel ceases to be a geographical entity and also ceases to, to refer specifically Te- to technically. The- as prophesied by Christ, he said, this generation will see it. And Flavius Josephus gives the details and all commentaries have referred to this year of AD 70 until very recently, Jews and Christians agreed to stop talking about it. Um, until AD 70, as prophesied by Christ, is the final warning, the final prophet. Um, there, there was a Jewish dispensation. There was a temple. God was worshipped there with sacrifices. There was a priesthood all overturned. The veil of the temples was rent in twain on the day of his crucifixion. But one generation of grace, as it were, until, as he foretold, get out of Jerusalem. The, the Christians read Matthew 24, what became Matthew 24, and they knew to flee. And they escaped the judgment by living in Pella, which is another story. Many of them did. But the land of Israel was squashed. And again, in the Bar Kokhba revolt, 132 AD. After that, the Jews were banished from the whole land. And the whole city became Aelia, Capitolina, it was renamed. Palestine was the new name for the territory, etc., but without going into that history, yes, all Christians and all honest Jews knew this, that the Jews were banished and that their covenant had ended. The Jews wouldn't go quite that far, but their covenant was overturned. They ceased being his people um, at that time. OK, but can we go back to the big the big picture stuff, which is in the 19th century, the Zionist movement, which presumably was was not very big, but it mm. had some some rich backers. Yeah. managed to co-opt vast sections of Christianity with yeah. this, thanks to the to the fake and fake expertise of of Cyrus Schofield, something to do with the Plymouth Brethren. I still haven't worked out what. Because I mean, remember at the beginning of the podcast, we set out to answer the question: Why? I mean, I've almost lost sort of friends and allies over this why is it that there are so many christians i mean millions of them who are are saying yeah yeah netanyahu go in and bomb the hell out of these these uh these palestinians because you are you are the children you know you are the children of israel you're you're god's chosen and and we should be we should be backing israel come what may because they are James, I'll give you an honest answer, as always. It's because whether they're in America, Britain, Australia, or any other country where there's a preponderance of evangelical Protestants, they have sat for decades, if they're middle-aged, in the church, listening to thousands of sermons and reading thousands of uh, books and Bible studies, and never once has this been mentioned. And whenever they see Israel, they think the nation-state, the Jews, it's all one and the same, because of ministerial cowardice, ignorance, and... A combination of other factors for exactly the same combina- uh, cluster of reasons as, for example, the vast majority of certainly Protestants in the world. It's better in Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. The vast majority of Protestants have never heard an explanation of First Corinthians 11 on uh, ladies covering their heads, at least during worship, if not the whole time, as an act of Christian reverence. Because, you know, a classic example was one of the evangelical megachurches in Cambridge in my day decided to go through the first epistle to the um, Corinthians a whole term 
and they timed it so that at half term they stopped just before that passage and after half term resumed with the next chapter without commenting because oh, we don't talk about that we don't rock the box rope that's controversial you know that that would split the church in other words there would be fewer donations and we'd be in the press what women wearing hats yes or, or more more new testament would be just a, a veil over the hair which is what you get in, in, in Eastern churches to this day. What you're, you're saying that, 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 that um, women should wear... It's plainly taught in Scripture. Although Paul doesn't say um, Christ commanded this, he, he says at the end of that passage, verse 16 of chapter 11, I think, I was talking to the catechism students about it this last week, he says, if you want to quibble at this, we don't have the custom, which most Christians historically have understood as meaning we don't have the custom of women uncovering their hair in, in, in worship. Some say take it the other way and means, OK, well, we don't have the, 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 the custom of quibbling, so decide what you want to do yourself. The point I'm making is simply that this is a, a, a corollary, a, a comparable phenomenon of cowardly and ill-taught ministers and elders. Right, but... We just don't discuss that. We, we just focus on Jesus, they say, which means I, feelings. I, I, I certainly get that um, the Zionists played a blinder by deciding that they were going to call their new state Israel. Yes. Which there, instantly... there were only discussions, would they call it Judah, you know, because they were two nations after King Solomon and uh, split between Jeroboam, Rehoboam. You've got two tribes and the ten tribes and the southern two are Judah. And that's where the adjectival form of Judah, Yehudi or Jew, comes from. The northern ten tribes, which had a mixed religion and fell away from the Lord very early on and were punished with... I would argue eternal scattering. You can't find them now. I'm not a British Israelite. Uh, oh, well, I think I might they were be, Alex. Israel. I know you might be. You've certainly got some of the tendencies, but fair enough, a lot of good <laughs> brethren are. Some of the tendencies. No, yeah. Which also arose in the me. high Victorian era Governor. for the same reasons, you know, a, a kind of post hoc attempt to explain why Britain had been given so much greatness that we didn't earn. But anyway... Uh, I'm not going to talk to you about British Israel because no. you're clearly... Uh, uh, you know, you're like one of those people that is dismisses of, of, of flat earthers, and I'm not having that. Um, <laughs> we'll stick to the matter in hand, which is... Look. The name of the State of Israel was definitely playing a blinder. It there was. There was some debate among Zionists at the time. The more religious ones wanted that, I think, that, that name. No, the, another name. And the, the more cynical ones, the Rothschildites, decided for the, land, the name of Israel. Yeah. So, um, I've noticed this, that... That there are quite a lot of Christians who don't understand that there are layers and layers of meaning in the Bible. Yeah. Some of it is instantly comprehensible. It is what it is. But some of the stuff, I mean, the word Jew, for example, has a multitude of meanings depending on what on and 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 it doesn't even Paul, appear in Paul early in Romans. Is it chapter two? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. So the Bible's explicit in saying there are layers of meaning. Exactly. And then you've got the synagogue of Satan. What is the synagogue of Satan, do you reckon, that appears in Revelation? Well, it's, I would argue Revelation's written before AD 70, and the whole book is understood best that way. Read, I think I mentioned it before, kaisercommentary.com on Revelation, K-A-Y-S-E-R commentary.com, Phil Kaiser in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. But he's basing himself on, again, the classic both Western and Eastern Christian position that all New Testament warnings largely get or primarily gets fulfilled in AD 70. That was the first what? time. Yeah, that's, that's, that that's was, a shame. That, that was the first time Christ came back as threatened. 
That's why the Jews stoned, Steve, stoned Stephen in Acts 7 and 8, because he could see that the Son of Man was about to act, standing poised to, to judge them. He what, came so down, revelations as it were, And he, he, super, he supervised what Vespasian and Titus did, uh, or rather what the Jews did to themselves uh, in their zealotry, in pulling down their own temple. You know, fat lot of, of good it, tended, it did them in the end. They, they, they were fighting over its, its sanctity and uh, impregnability, and in the end they destroyed it themselves to fight the Romans during the siege. But anyway, the... That was the first fulfilment uh, of that. Um, well, that uh, means that we, we needn't bother reading Revelation if it's already happened. Well, no, it's, you know, we, we, there's a biblicist and there's a historicist and there are many other forms of uh, understanding Revelation that don't fall into the trap of um, futurism, we know, which is all it's, it's all for the future, which is associated with the Schofield line and Jesuitry. They've, they've pushed this idea because the church is consoled as she sees these things happening in real time. It's not... Is the synagogue of Satan in Pergamon in Revelation two and three? Is that um, is that this movement? No, we deal with spiritual types in Revelation above all. You know, in any any book of the Bible, but especially Revelation, which has got the the highest density of Old Testament quotations of any book in the New Testament. It's saying, ah, whenever you see this arising, that's Satanism, and it's happening within. In this case, not the church, but actually, it is in the church. Sorry, in Pergamon, yes. So watch out, Satanists will be will crop up in the church. Thing is, Alex, I. I don't want to go all th through all this incredible shit that we're going through right now if it turns out that I don't even get the treat at the end of seeing the Antichrist coming and the horses wading up to their chests in blood and stuff like that. If but you're that, saying it's already that happened... That particular thing did happen as described by Josephus and it went out for however many stadia and all the measurement of distance. But that does not need not preclude it happening again in a future Armageddon. But the idea of apocalypticism, of waiting for Armageddon, if not speed, you know, hasting the day that it comes out of a sense of titillation or impatience, uh, is of the devil. Well, you, well says you, I, I'm, I'm thinking actually that we, that, that, that it is getting, things are getting particularly horrible. Yeah. And the, the only reason, the only thing to be grateful for, for living this absolutely appalling time that we're living through where we're having all our freedoms taken away everything is going to shit um and and evil people are everywhere and triumphing the only consolation to my mind is that at least we get the ringside seat at the end of the world and might, maybe we'll see the second coming although i don't think i'm going to live to see it but but if you're if you're saying that revelations already happened i mean that's a bit the, the things prophesied in it happened in some spectacular detail in ad 70 but it's also a book for the church age, and the things described then are happening again, as it were, in a, in a, in a global scale, in any age you care to look. Right. But look, um, Romans 16.20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That's Paul's closing word of comfort to believers in Rome, who weren't affected by the fall of Jerusalem. The epistle was written perhaps two decades before the fall of Rome. So there is a warrant for a New Testament Christian, although he's a peaceful chap, um, just to look forward with, with gleefully rubbing hands to the idea, to the prospect of Satan being uh, given a good whacking. Absolutely there is. Right. I'm not, this isn't a complaint, this is just observation. We have skittered about we have. an awful lot. And I'm not even sure that I... That, have we actually covered supersessionism yet? Well, if we haven't in all that we've done, we'll, we'll do it with this other quotation in First Thessalonians 2. Uh, 
verse 14 onwards, which I'll read, which I would have gone better before Galatians, because that Galatians is the more positive note. But this is why the church has superseded uh, the Jews. Now, before I read it, eudaioi, the Greek New Testament term for Jews, sometimes, such as in John, definitely means Judeans, as in the, the, the hobnobs around Jerusalem who, who led the religion in Second Temple Jerusalemism, as distinct from the, the despised Galileans in the north. Right? That's one meaning of eudaioi. But in this passage, Paul is writing to Christians in Thessaly, both Jews and Greeks, who are suffering mightily, as in Asia Minor, when the when the local Jews kick up a, a fuss and get the local authorities to, to persecute them. And he's saying, look, these things are being done because the Jews are persecuting you. He is there unambiguously talking about religious Jews rather than Eudaioi as, as a subcategory of uh, of Jerusalem magnates of, 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 of Judaism. But what he says here is this, for ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. So the Jewish believers in Jerusalem who had it really very bad and were very poor. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So arguably he's saying your local Jews are persecuting you in Thessaly, just as um, uh, Jewish authorities in Jerusalem are persecuting the Jewish Christians. Or he's saying they're Jews as a religious group. Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus. Paul is unabashed in saying that, although the Romans crucified him. The Jews Paul is a Jew himself, isn't he? The, the, of course he is. Yep. Uh, very Jewish Jew, as he says in, in 2 Corinthians. You know, he, he gives all his credentials. Uh, a Jew of the Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Um, but he's saying here, obviously the Jewish authorities would have wanted nothing more dearly than to have been able to impose the death sentence, but the Sanhedrin couldn't because of the Roman occupation. So they contrived to get the Romans to do it. But mm. Paul unambiguously says the Jews killed the Lord Jesus. I don't mean it in the Roman Catholic sense that, you know, well-known in Ireland of find a Jew and point a finger at him and say, you killed the Lord Jesus, because the Protestant understanding is that our own sinfulness, uh, the sinfulness of his own people uh, nailed him to the cross. But as a matter of historical record, Paul is unafraid to say the Jews killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, which Christ talked about in his parables, you know, look at all the prophets who, who you killed and stoned and have persecuted us, meaning the apostles who evangelize. And this is the key, James. They, the Jews Paul is writing about, they please not God and are contrary to all men, which makes me think of that line in Tacitus, odio humani generis, their hatred of the human race, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they, meaning the Gentiles, might be saved, to fill up their sins always, meaning to you know, keep, keep racking up the account until God deals with them. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost, which to me is the strongest hint he's writing. He's, we know he's writing before AD 70, but he's prophesying AD 70 there. Um, because you know, God can't tolerate any more, and he's given enough warning that it will happen to that generation. Uh, but that that's idea of don't whatever you do, take these Old Testament promises and and laws uh, that we don't want to to obey anymore, that we've twisted, and don't, don't be whatever you do, be preaching them to heathen nations, who some of whom will rapturously receive Christ and and obey Him from a pure heart, in in true repentance. That's the last thing they wanted. And that mm. spirit is still around in Judaism. Even the very same people who, you know, around Netanyahu's uh, outfit, for example, who make a great show of, of having um, uh, evangelical pastors in the USA on speed dial. 
Yes, well, of course they do, because because the Christian lobby is still quite an important. I mean, that's the one that votes all the money to Israel, thinking that well, it says it in the Bible, therefore, there's, there's there must be goodies. Yeah, I mean, it goes back as far as Genesis fourteen fifteen that God gives Abraham that precious promise, and Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was hundreds of years before anyone spoke Hebrew or called well, themselves quite. a Jew. In fact, the word Jew probably only comes in a, a thousand years after Abraham, around the fifth century or so. But Abraham is the father of faith. His seed is Christ. So, you know, singular collective use of seed to mean all who believe in him, not yeah. s descendants as in the nation, as it's mistranslated in, in contemporary Bibles. Abraham is told all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. That's Abraham and his faith. There's no law. There's no, it's 430 years before Moses, as Paul points out. Um, but there's no written law at that point. There's a, there's a law written on our hearts, obviously. There's no covenant with the Jews yet, much less a nation of Israel. And God is saying to Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. Abraham is the human forefather of Christ in this regard and of those who believe in Christ. Um, I've even, even though I'm not sure how where we've got i've really enjoyed our kind of tour d'horizon of all all manner of um can i just just ask you um not strictly relevant to the <laughs> to supersessionism but do you think jesus was bothered whether or not women wore hats in church in his earthly ministry yeah as it is very well expressed in the engagement with the Syrophoenician women in the Gospel of Luke. Right. He was honouring, and in, in Matthew as well, in the Sermon on the Mount, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am come not to destroy but to fulfil. Mm. And also that not a jot or a tittle, not the smallest pen stroke would fall out of the law till all was fulfilled. Heaven and earth would pass away, but his words would not pass away, which again is AD 70, because heaven and earth means God's dispensation in Jewish parlance. In all of his earthly walk, before his crucifixion, certainly before John the Baptist was put in prison, um, and he made pains to, to, to establish, OK, John's in prison, now I'll preach the gospel of the kingdom, because John couldn't do it anymore. He was the last Old Testament prophet. At that point, John, Christ was always saying when heathen, who were seriously interested, Roman soldiers or, or, or um, local pagans, when they wanted to believe or be in and be healed by Christ, he was quite harsh with them to test their faith. You know, I am not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It is not meat to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And by the way, he means uh, little pet dogs in the house there. Diminutive form. He doesn't mean you are a, a horrible dog. He's been quite endearing. But the woman, he elicits faith from the woman. And then he says, your faith has healed you. Afterwards, there's no distinction. The the old, the, the, the veil's been rent with his crucifixion. The, the, the temple service was fruitless for the final 40 years and then was physically destroyed, thanks to the Jews' own stubbornness, the zealots within them anyway, uh, with AD 70. Now they're trying in vain with Christian support to rebuild it. But we, the church, are the third temple. So was Jesus bothered? He would have said in his earthly walk, if asked, and by the way, it wasn't a distinctive in, in meetings, uh, as in Islam, women are not actually obliged to attend the meetings, and synagogue was was a later term because they went to temple when it was available until AD 70 so none of the, uh, the the conditions are really the same as the as New Testament church but if he was asked about a more a matter of observance and worshipping God 
um, equivalent of, of, of in our gospel era, do ladies cover their hats, heads in church? He would have said, do what is in the law. You know, obey. He even said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, obey the rabbis. They weren't called, well, they were called rabbis then. Obey the rabbis because they, they sit in the seat of Moses. They've got his authority. But he came to bring in a higher standard of righteousness too. He said, accept your righteousness, exceed that of the Pharisees. Another allusion to Talmudism and and um, hypocr hypocritical self-justification and outward religion. You will in no wise see the kingdom of heaven, enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if it was a matter of Old Testament religion, even practice, he would have said, go along with it for the decency's okay. sake. So you and think Paul doesn't Jesus... go beyond that. Paul doesn't say it's it's a you know a great blasphemy uh to god for a lady out of ignorance or or you know defiance yeah. uh to walk into a, a a worship service with uncovered head he says there's the church in all times and places does this even though it was only one generation old that's our custom we don't want to be annoying people a theme he returns to in romans 14 and again in 1 corinthians you don't want to be annoying weaker brethren for the sake of it so if for that reason alone christ and the apostles would have said what's your problem what's your beef here the Dutch Reformed churches here uh, are, are pleasantly un-British about it. They just put a sign in the vestry saying uh, women and girls with uncovered heads will not be admitted. They, they don't get mealy mouth and say, so sorry, it's our, it's our custom. Please try to understand. They just say, this is the Lord's house. This is our understanding and custom. Go along with it or worship elsewhere. No, I like I like women in hats. I think I think I mean, especially riding hats. But but yeah, hats, hats generally, I think hats look good on. I mean, I think chaps should wear hats as well. Um the, as you know, the the sort of the Satanists who run the world um, are particularly interested in Israel, and they see the building of the third temple as part of the sort of the fulfilment of their. Um, well, it seems to, to me that they are trying to bring bring about revelation. And they're doing things like what's this about importing red cows or something or red heifer, red heifers. I happen a few days ago to have been inspecting for uh, let's just say a European bureaucracy, and the whole mission was on the colour of cattle. So I was there interpreting for officials. Uh, Do you ever manage to breed any red cattle? And I was thinking in the back of my mind. Uh, I, I know some other people who'd be interested in this. And I was told it was a res recessive feature of certain breeds of cattle. But, but the they've already imported these breeds them, haven't they? Prescribes that they, they, these, these calves have to be slaughtered because, you know, they, they, they're not allowed to be of that colour to, to be part of that breed. What is your non-career safe, um, Dellingpole-esque um, take on on the on the regime running israel i mean they are basically luciferians aren't they that, that... The, the, the pious jews in israel and in the diaspora know that they are a godless shower reverend baruch maoz who uh runs a website by the way i think it's the maozweb.com or org you can subscribe to his newsletters mostly about the current war now but they've given years of information is of that majority, of course he's a Christian, but just that majority of Jews in Israel, in his case born in America, moved there soon after the war, uh, would say, and he's been saying it consistently for years, Netanyahu is a charlatan, a dictator, uh, but we were born here, there is a Hebrew-speaking, uh, mostly Jewish worshipping or nominal Jewish nation of Israel, do you want us all to 
uh, get into the sea? What is supposed to happen with us? You know, are we supposed to take every blow that's rained upon us by our enemies? And that's, that's another can of worms. But what I mean to say is the, the, the majority of Israel, middle Israel opinion, is that Netanyahu is a disaster. Yeah, but, but, but you're, kind of, you're kind of backing out of the question, which is that, look, come on, there are two teams in this world. You know, you know that and I know that. There's team, there's team Christian, which is basically understands that, look, it comes down to this, that the, 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 the fallen angels, that the people who, who, who work for the other, other side are basically backing Lucifer and his crew or Satan and his crew. That's that's the deal. That's the battle. That's, you agree with me on this, don't you? Yes. This is the battle that's happening in the world. It's being played out in the material world, and yes. it's a reflection of that supernatural battle. So when I when I know that 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 when I see all the kind of occult symbol symbols on things like hospital roofs and hospital designs and stuff in 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 Israel, or whatever, or I see that they're they're planning on on rebuilding the third temple, and they're getting the red heifers in, I'm not thinking. Oh, it's just an accident. They've gone for some red cows. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is this is Satan's plan being on the verge of being yeah. fulfilled. Yes, it is. I, mean, I wouldn't say the Jews or the Israelis want that, although clearly some do because of the uh, occult architecture in Jerusalem that you've mentioned. You know, all the buildings, the Knesset, the Supreme Court seem to have this, as does Washington, D.C. and Paris and so on. Um, but it's more Satan's plan to use that territory and those nominal Jews as his main pawn, I think. Uh, again, read, read To Eliminate the Opiate by Rabbi Marvin Antelman in two volumes, written 50 years ago, I think, uh, by a Boston rabbi to see the detail. He was one of the loudest uh, and most coherent Jewish writers to say, don't you realise we're being played for fools here? A straight down the line Orthodox Jew of no political, yeah. particular political bent. And if you want a one world religion and one world court, etc., of course you're going to want it to be based in Jerusalem, because then in satanic and Luciferian thinking, you have got the real estate, the, you've got the, the claim on the allegiance of, and if you can mangle, wangle the Vatican to go along with it, which yeah, seems yeah. to be happening, then you've got the vast majority of Judaism, Christendom and Islam looking to Jerusalem as the natural religious headquarters of the world government. And anyone who stands up there and says, I'm the prophet, you must obey uh, the beast, uh, the political guy. Uh, of course, the, um, the people are going to go along with that. Yeah. Well, this is why I'm not going to defer. I mean, I, you, Alex, obviously, explain. Well, I should have asked you at the beginning. How come you know so much about scripture and s stuff? Because I grew up as an only son, uh, pilfering my dad's library, which is full right. of the best material from different countries and eras and languages about this stuff. And as with, you know, my dear parents' early concern about what kind of King Charles would turn out to be early on in you know, her late majesty's reign when they were young, I listened to their conversations and, you know, always listened to the dissenting views. Uh, right. But I was aware that in church and state, most people would say, well, we don't talk about that. It's not and you're, and you're a polymath, aren't you? How many languages do you speak? Um, speak fluently is half a dozen, but I can translate out of perhaps two dozen, three dozen. Many so of them are so, related to each other. So you've read the Septuagint in 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 Greek, obviously, oh, yes, and and, you, and you've read the the Old Testament in. I teach Hebrew. the Old Testament in Hebrew, and then you say <laughs> Greek every week. Okay, but that all that said, Alex, um, I'm not going to defer to you on. I, I I'm looking at 
the red heifers. I'm looking at the third temple. I'm looking at the mark of the beast in the form of, of vaccine passports. And I am not going to take your line that, that, that oh, it, it just refers to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It's already been fulfilled. It seems to me that, come on, come it's, off it. It's pretty striking, although red heifers aren't mentioned in Revelation. The, the mark of the beast right. in the hand is mentioned in chapter 13. And uh, the other things you mentioned, it is striking, isn't it? But there's a kind of emulation as well going on. There's a lot of people LARPing as, as Satanists. Uh, well, where, where the a jolly good wheeze if we did it in exactly the same way that's warned about in Revelation. They are doing a very good job. What, 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 so where do the red heifers come from then? Who invented that one? They're mentioned in Leviticus. Oh, are um, they? they, they the, the idea is, is further uh, elaborated in Jewish tradition. It's, it's rabbinical tradition that matters. I mean, the uh, whistleblower Ronald Bernard, the, the Dutch, he's often oh, yes. wrongly called talking. a banker, uh, a good friend of mine, um, is sadly, he? T- yes, sadly takes the position. He's been in this house several times. He says he takes the position that um, revelation is to be rejected because it's a Luciferian plan and that it's an attempt to uh, deceive the church. I don't take that, but it is interesting that uh, the, the most important church for the sake for the, for the purposes of who sets the canon, you know, which books of the New Testament are inspired by God has always been the Greek Orthodox Church because it's their tradition the Byzantine Church, and we took their manuscripts when Protestantism got going as its own wing of Christendom to to inform ourselves. And they, until uh, Archbishop Cyril Lucaris, or Lucar, in the 17th century, who may have been assassinated by the Sultan, his ship sank in strange circumstances as he was in dialogue with the, the Dutch Protestants, interestingly. But until his time in the mid-17th century, the Greek Orthodox Church said, Revelation is like the deuterocanonical or apocryphal books to the Protestants, uh, or uh, uh, in the sense that we read them for interesting information, but they're not inspired directly by God. They contain error too. Oh. And the, the Greeks did this for very, very striking, interesting reasons, which is, as Eusebius, the father of church history, says, and this goes back to the fourth century or so, um, everyone said, well, that's been fulfilled, hasn't it? Everyone knows Revelation was fulfilled with AD 70, and at, at the most, stretching it out to the ten pagan emperors who followed uh, up until Constantine. They were the Ten Horns, weren't they? You know, that was the universal position of the Greek and the Western Latin Church in the early church days. It was only with Jesuitry in the sixteenth, mid-16th century that the idea of futurism came along to replace oh. preterism. You know, that it's all in the future, don't worry your pretty little heads, and it's certainly nothing to do with the man in Rome. That's why the, the Jesuits... Jesuits are so dodgy, so... Oh, Alex, I'm talking I'm about kind of... snake handlers. We, 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 we started with them, so we'll end with them. Ignatius Loyola, he was certainly uh, struggling with serpentine apparitions in caves, wasn't he? This is just like, I tell you what, next, po- OK, not not next podcast, because that's going to be Psalm 2. We're not going to we're not going to we're not going to pick a topic because we're just going to ram. We're just going to go all over the place because because I have to say the best bits of this podcast are where we just sort of um, <laughs> digressed. Because you know so much, and it and it's and it's lovely. But what, shall we do this episode? A funny thing happened on the way to Armageddon. <laughs> we could do. We could do. The, um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, I don't feel that we've really. <sighs> well, the wait till you get your post bag. When you see your hall of of uh, uh, repeatable feedback on this not the obscene stuff which there will be um you can categorize that and where people feel that i haven't given enough of a coherent chronology or defined terms we can go for that well yeah no but i, I know what i was going to say i was going to say of all the rabbit holes i've been down 
there is none more uh, with, with more side tunnels um, and, and you're not sure where you are than Christianity. It is all religion, I suppose, in the broader sense, but it's just... Christianity is the greatest phenomenon in world history. Whether or not you accept that the gospel of Christ is salvation, there's nothing bigger as a phenomenon in world history than Christianity. I mean, no. Christianity is so big that it even subsumes the entire concept of Christendom, which is the whole of the uh, world-dominating Western civilization until about 100 years ago. Well, I would like to think that this podcast has been as interesting for non-Christians as it is for Christians, because, uh, like, I, I, I don't think you even need to be a god-botherer to find this stuff interesting. I mean, it's key. it affects everything, even if you don't believe it. It's been my consistent finding, James, that the, the fellow travellers who are on my Eastern Approaches Telegram channel stick around precisely because fascinating Christian concepts and history are discussed yeah. in a, in a non-pushy way, but in, in a self-assured way. Well, I liked the way that you managed to um, plug some of your product, and I'm going to encourage you to do more of this. Alex, tell us where we can find you, find your staff. I am... On ukcolumn.org, uh, for the next few months, it'll be mainly Monday lunchtime news I'm presenting. You can watch that live as well. If you go to community.ukcolumn.org, you can enable us to keep doing what we're doing, not just expanding, but keeping the current production on the road. Our guests, our video, uh, sorry, our articles uh, commissioned uh, for, by other people, or commissioned uh, by us uh, for other people to write, take money. So we're not enriching ourselves that money is throughput to enable UK Column to continue doing what it's currently doing, let alone expand in the new studios, which our generous subscribers have enabled us to do. So don't watch us for free uh, if you're drawn to us. Uh, you might be consuming us on Telegram, YouTube, to the extent we're not banned there, etc. Uh, Odyssey, Bitshoot, Rumble. But above all, please go to ukcolumn.org. Join the UK Column community, not just for the extras, like being able to talk in forums with fellow members, uh, like-minded people, although that's a great boon, but principally so that we can keep going. Staff and contributors, regular and occasional contributors. And I'm on Telegram as Eastern Approaches, t.me slash East App. I have a smaller mm. backup channel, All the Eastern Approaches, t.me slash All East App, uh, which is a, I, I intend to make that busier and keep Eastern Approaches itself to just a few highlights a day. But uh, the channel description is deliberately multifarious. It's geopolitics, Christianity, education, and uh, I forget the, even the, uh, the, the fourth one that I've put on there now, but th those are the areas I, I cover. Well, thanks, Alex. It's been always great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and dear viewers and listeners, um, when you finish supporting UK Column, as indeed you must, um, I'd appreciate if you if you supported me me too, and and thank you for those who do already. Um, I think the place to go now is is really Substack. I I I I do have a presence on Patreon and, and locals and subscribe stuff, but Substack seems to offer offer the best reader experience. I get I yes. get better comments, and also it, it it obviates the press completely. There's no need for it. Brilliant writers can write there without censorship, fear, or favour, and the algorithm is a positively written one. You know, instead yeah. of a deceptive one, if one subscribes to you on Substack, one will get a pop up saying you'll want these three like minded people for free as well. Or you might want to support them financially as well, having donated to your Substack. 
which is a, a wonderful way of expanding the reach of people you wouldn't otherwise have hear, heard of. Yeah, I think it was. But um, and, and by the way, I, I, OK, I, I don't offer that many perks because because I'm just so disorganized. But I think it's worth doing. You know, you, if, if you're one of those people who wants what's in it for me. I would say you get to see my podcast. I'm, I'm going to delay that. I, although I generally release my stuff free in the end, I'm going to delay for, because I think subscribers ought to get benefits. And so you get to see my stuff in advance. Some of it, I'm always going to keep paywalled for various reasons, just for exclusivity or, or whatever. But that's the way forward, I think. And, and thanks for those of you who don't want to commit, who just want to buy me a cup of coffee. That's, that, that's great too. Um, and, yeah again alex thanks for being on the show and we'll do psalm 2 in a while the we can ask the, will... answer the question why do the heathen so furiously rage together and why do the people imagine a vain thing because they haven't looked up to god's holy hill in verse 7 and onwards but we'll get into that yet so, have i set you my again king before the apocalypse well yes now i know that you're an apocalypse denier i'm not sure i'm going to talk to you about that anymore <laughs> <laughs> the apocalypse right. has been and will happen again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right thanks alex that's great <laughs> god bless <laughs>